time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning to you. Good morning, mate. How are you? Going well, mate. The barrels in Portland are getting national coverage at the moment. You're it not is extraordinary. Around. Straight into it. Straight into it. It is extraordinary the capture rates that we are hearing at the moment. It's ridiculous. We, we spoke so much last year around... Uh, Port Macdonald being yep. the southern bluefin tuna barrel capital of the country. Yep. Now, these fish have moved. The place that's missed out over the last few years... Not, which is, not quite missed out. They still had a decent run, but not as good as Port Mac. Which has typically been you know, yep. the tuna capital, yep. being Portland. It is back in a way that we... Perhaps have never even seen it before. Definitely not never seen it before like this. Like So this is the best fishing you've ever seen at Portland? Tuna side of it, you're never going to get better. Oh, to get better than this is going to be... I, I say it now because every year we say it's going to be... Can it get better? Can it get better? And it's getting better. We're seeing fish from as small as school fish. So we'll go that, say, 15 kilo range. Yes. Right up to 150 kilo. So two metres long. Like big fish, yeah. Yep. Like proper big barrels. And... um. Just thinking now, like, how to explain it to you guys. I'm fortunate enough to experience this a few times in the last few weeks, which has been great, and it's not explainable. <laughs> it's yeah. David Attenborough stuff. Like, it <laughs> so is just you- seals and dolphins and bait, and then just erupt. Like, not just barrel tuna working you, oh, we're going to pull up to these birds and you hook up. They're jumping out of the water. They're exploding everywhere. There's the so other day during paint the week. Paint me a picture for the bait that you're seeing on Sound Sona. It, yeah. To tell you the honest truth, there's not a heap there, which worries me a little bit. And even everyone I speak to goes, oh, the bait's not really that good. And I wonder if that's why they're feeding so viciously that they're just making the most of it when it comes up. Yeah. I'd, I'd really... So we've spoken about these heaps. Is it spread though, the bait? Like these fish are spread, the bait spread. I don't... Like the only way to explain this, this is if this ha- keeps on continuing because... The way the tuna stocks are working, I think we we're at six percent a handful of years ago, and we're meant to be up around that 17, 17, 18 yeah, percent or something. something. Like that. Yeah, so say say we'll say seventeen, eighteen percent, and that's a big jump from when you and I, the you, scientists you, that we are. Well, you, well, we based you this hosted off hosted that event with Al McGlashan. Yeah. Uh, so it was a how tuna, long ago was that? It was a tuna champions documentary, and it was called Life on the Line. It's a wonderful watch for anyone before COVID. Yep, for anyone that's interested in learning more about the Australian. Uh, tuna stocks. So say four years ago that came out. Yep. So this was funded by Victorian... Actually, it, no, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't Victorian no, Fisheries. It was, it was sort whole of lot. National Fisheries. Yeah, national. Um, and, and underpinning this was, was Al McClashen sort of directing and, and um, you know, talking through the history of Southern Bluefin Tuna globally where the fish had been smashed for so many years. Um, quite clearly commercial fishing being a huge reason behind this and Underpinning that yep. was sort of the, the Japanese fishing fleets. So then, you know, globally, the alarms bell sound when the fish stocks are being severely depleted. And they spoke about, you know, if you if you scaled it on one to a hundred, the fish stocks. I think it was it was it I th- from memory. I reckon it was mid nineties. It was like four or five percent. Yeah, it wasn't extraordinarily much. low. It might have even been been lower. Uh, and they were talking through why we just have not seen these fish for yep. so long because they've been smashed commercially. And then as 
you know, science has grown, the understanding behind reproduction, all those sorts of things. And you just cannot keep fishing these fish into extinction. Uh, or if you do, you'll never see them again. So now, when the doco was released, they said it was at 15%. I think it's safe to say that it's, you know, it's, it's been growing every year. And, and now we get to a stage where... Oh, we're you know, seeing it. You're seeing oh, just massively. incredible captures. And not just myself. Like, we got the report whip around shortly. Tassie, we're doing South Australia, up even WA coast. And when will we start to see these in South Australian waters, like the big girls? When well, you, Port when Mac you... is classified as South Australia, even though I claim it a little bit because it's such a fantastic place to fish on the border of Vic and... No, it's not on the border. It's in South Australia. Yeah, about 20 minutes, so it's nearly <laughs> us. But it's a great place <laughs> to fish, and we saw barrels there this week. There's barrels there getting caught. Yep. There are barrels there, but yep. Portland have a range... The, the thing that we've never seen in Victoria is the range of fish we have now. There is so many fish from 60 to 80 kilo, which we never see. We have never seen that before. Yep. We always had 20 kilo or we had 100 plus. It was very rarely you got like an 80 kilo fish or 70 yeah. kilo fish. You got the odd ones or twos, don't get me wrong. But out of, say, 100 barrels, there would be five of them that were under 100 kilo. Like, there's not many. Yes. Now we're getting 100 plus, 120, 130, 140. All of a sudden, you got one made on a double, you're fighting a 40 kilo one, and then on the other side, there's a 110 kilo one. So it's just amazing to see. Like I said, they are widespread. There's not one patch of fish. When Lee and I were down there, and I was down there during the week, there was just fish from the lighthouse all the way to the rock, like just spread out, like yeah. just the whole way down, even to... Uh, Right down to Bridgewater, sorry. So, so the, when these boats... 15 kilometers, put it in perspective, 15 plus kilometers of barrel bluefin that the boats are going to, there's probably more elsewhere. So you're not seeing necessarily the boat traffic that converges on these small condensed I, You're schools. definitely seeing the boat traffic. Big. But but talk to me around, so often you've yep. reported that the fish come up, the boats converge, and then they die down. And they're not going down. Yeah, right. It's just, there's that many fish. Like, don't get me wrong, there are days where they are harder to get because of the boat traffic. But during the week, I think there was 20 boats out of Portland on the Tuesday. Yep. And I think from what reports from a mate that was fishing the same day, they had six by 9.30 a.m. They had landed six. What? And every boat had... By 9.30 in the morning. 9.30 in the morning. And they launched its <laughs> first lights like six o'clock. So within three and a half hours... So by the time they got there, so three hours of fishing, they like, fewer around the 60 kilo. They're knocking over in 20 minutes. Have you ever heard barrel fishing that good? No. No. What Lee and I experienced last time, I'll say that now, it was the best I thought you'd ever see. And I didn't think anyone else would see that. And I think they're still seeing it. <laughs> so it's <laughs> uh, it's so exciting. Uh, Apollo Bay is going to fire up soon as well. Then you've got Port Mac, you've got Port Ferry. Like there's so many places these fish are probably there right now, but people are in these areas because it's... Portland's a very safe place. I know a boat went over the other day there, but it's a very safe harbour as such. Like Apollo Bay. It's a great facility to launch. Such a good facility, good weighing system if you want to weigh a fish. But not only that is, I love getting behind the rock. So once you get past the rock to fish, you're right, you're out there all day, but it's actually coming the other way. You get past the rock and you're like, all right, such a short, like you're 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 only 5K. Well, the rock's a place that's about 6Ks from the ramp. And it's sort of that once you hit there, you know you're on the home stretch to getting in, if that makes sense. Where Apollo Bay, you're travelling 40, yeah. like 40k, 50k's to get out. But then you get to the Cape Otway and you think you're there and you've still got 30k. Yeah. So Portland is a safe haven. Port Mac is a prick of a place if the swell's up. It's a, obviously a dangerous bar. Yeah, big time. So it's not a place where you can just mess around with Port Mac. So Portland's that safe haven that everyone, a lot of people feel very safe in going there. Well, that's why the charters are there. So there's a lot of fish. The best chances of 
giving yourself a solid hookup, yep. right? What are you using? What are the skirts you're using? Are you oh, using I deep use, divers? I just use Allen snakes. There's going to eat anything at the moment. <laughs> it's not like 10 years ago, Patrick, where you actually had to put prep into this. I tell you, oh, I just... So is it that good? It is unbelievably good. So any sort of skirt, mate, J- weighted, unweighted? A mate of mine had dead barracuda he bought from the tackle store, just dropped in a dead barracuda when they were taking that. That's how he hooked his six fish in the morning. Dead barracuda he bought at the tackle store. I just don't get it. <laughs> I just, like, just dead, dirty tackle store like being there for ages like he just goes we we're going to catch live bait at the bat the what, what hooks is he using for that well Talk i'm, I'm that. using 90 circle gamagatsu i don't know what jake was using but i was using 90 circle gamagatsu yep um big bait so you can't buy them anymore they just i stocked up when i found out you couldn't buy them anymore and just pinning but through anything, the top yeah just pin through i haven't been complicating it just you can bridle it up if you want to have it swim better as a live bait there's a dead bait. Like when I was throwing the yakas in, just straight through the nose and I'm just dropping it in the water. Not complicating <laughs> it in the slightest. Like there are going to be days where there's going to be pricks and you need to bridle them. But at the moment, we're talking about what's going on right now, Pat. Yep. We're a weekly show. We can do that. Yep. So it is insane. You're hand feeding them. So I know one charter dropped a bait in. So they dropped two baits in the water and they were sinking them down and they watched the barrel come up and eat both of them at once and both the rods were fighting the same fish. You are <laughs> so kidding me. They were literally, um, they were literally like, it's unbelievable. <sighs> so it's, it's as good as it gets and if you want to get a barrel, I think if you, you can pick a weather gap during the week's obviously going to be better than a weekend. Uh, there's still going to be traffic during the week because the bite's insane but I don't know how long this is going to go for. I don't. So if you can get down there, enjoy it while you can. It's unbelievable. Bit of fishing news uh, globally. The deepest ever fish uh, This is ridiculous. in a trench near Japan. Now, this has been a collaboration uh, by Australian and Japanese scientists. Five miles, 10 kilometres underwater in the Isa Ogasawara <laughs> trench. <laughs> The trench, ten kilometers south of Japan, so ten kilometers underwater, they've sent all their equipment and caught these fish, four point three inches long, incredible. So they tweeted this during the week. It's one of the most amazing things, and we were we were sort of researching this on air, like how deep does a nuclear submarine go? They go three hundred meters deep. They probably go more. Well, the, no, we well it's saying here, a nuclear submarine will dive. The average submarine will dive around 300 metres. The lo- the deepest ever on record that hasn't been done again was 10,000 metres. That's what I'm just looking at. That's 10K. And Google, it's 10K, and Google never lies to you, ever. Yeah, I'm sure we could get all the um, defence sort of uh, information that's totally... So basically what it's saying is, accurate. I'll never be able to dive that, <laughs> that far. But that's like, the fish that was down there, how big were they? About four inches long, Four roughly. inches long, yep. Yeah. And they were ugly as ugly looking. If I was a fish, that'd be me. Snail I promise fish, you that. Snail, snail fish. fish. But yeah, it's it's amazing to see. Like we talk about this depth of water that we we're talking about right now, and we've got this swordfish fishery that's that's coming up. We're coming up to it, and it's so exciting that Tassie's fired up well. There's been a few caught off lakes entrance in Malacuta. We're about to get into it, and we're fishing 300 to say 500 meters deep, roughly, and we don't know what we're going to catch ever. We don't know if we're going to bring up a swordfish. It could be 200 kilo. It could be 400 kilo. These things like are ginormous. And then you've got big eye threshers. And then you've got bluefin. Then you've got different types of bluefin down there that are traveling along. With, like, it's just bizarre. That what, we don't, what we don't know that's underneath this ocean is incredible. What we were keen to talk about, Redmond, uh, was chasing sharks offshore. We were going to base a lot of our week around that because your plan this week was to, was to do that. 
Uh, that was interrupted by the extraordinary um, barrel action that we continue to see off Portland. Is there buy capture at the moment, Dan? Like, if you're going to look to chase, um, you know, a, a Mako offshore, a Thresher Shark offshore, are we seeing that down there, or is the the, the big bluefin are just butting him out of the way? I'd be there'd be sharks everywhere. Yeah, those sharks. Well, there's a pot of killer whales that. They're not far off behind the barrels. They're always following the barrels. Yep. And then you've got the Makos. They will always be within striking distance of tuna. Like they've, they're always going to be. They they follow the big. They follow the. You got to think everything follows the bait. Yep. Tuna follow the bait. The bait follows. Uh, the, sorry, the tuna follow the bait. The Makos follow the tuna, which are following the bait. Everything adds up into yep. one thing. So, I know there was a big, nearly a two hundred kilo Mako landed off Western Port, uh, only a few days. I think it was middle of the week, roughly. Uh, so there's going to be, with these tuna stocks, and the, out the front of the he- Port Phillip Bay head, so it's not just where I live, it's South Australia, Tasmania, all the reports are the same. The tuna are in plague proportions. Yep. And these, I guess, pelagic sharks, these pelagic sharks like Mako's blue sharks, they are going to be so following these tuna 100%. 100%. So constant burly trails, obviously essential. As yep. soon as you lose that, bur- uh, the, as soon as you stop burling, that shark's going to turn around, particularly with the way they swim up and down the beaches. So that's first and foremost. Is there a metre range, like beyond 20 metres or 30 metres, that you're recommending people to, to hit you know, a mark before they start? If you're in places where you have a continental shelf, uh, Portland's a great example, yep. uh, New South Wales coast, South Australia. If you've got a continental shelf, you can't beat it. The sharks, there's always bait, there's always food. The sharks will always travel up and down the continental shelf. If you're in a place like... It's a long way offshore, though. It can be and it can not be. Like, Bermagui is only a few Ks. Like, it's only, like, 15, 16 Ks. Well, it's not far. But if you're, say, for instance, living where I live, somewhere where you don't have a shelf as such, you places, like, where the tuna are. Yeah. So, if the tuna are in 30 to 50 metres of water, I'd be starting in a northerly wind. I'd be starting in 30 metres and drifting through those tuna schools as much as possible with your burley. And you're going to have no drama getting the shark out of them. You're floating, floating the bait? Yeah, just unweighted on a balloon. Yeah, yep. definitely. And, and 150 to 200 plus pound. Lead. Yeah, so just running yeah. your normal 24, 37 kilo. I always start with that. And then your wire trace is a must, but have a wind on leader. But you can run like a smaller gear. If a 30 kilo shark comes up, have some fun, put a snapper outfit on and or a gummy outfit, I should say, and chuck a trace on it. Have a decent sized trace and swivel, and you'll be fine. You'll land. You'll land your shark. No worries. So you can match it to the shark. And you're letting that shark run first, aren't you? So yeah. If I'm running a circle hook, let yeah. it run for say five to eight seconds, and then get into it. Yeah. Locked up drag, pretty much. Hold your hand on it. Set yeah. the hook as much as you can, and then once it starts running, then let it go. So you want to get that hook in because if the hook's not sitting properly, it hits the teeth or whatever it is, you want to get that hook in to uh, corner of his mouth. Yeah. The, ideally, the circle. Will Pretty much pin it all yeah, the time in the corner yeah. of the corner of the jaw, uh, and they're great. They're great eating shark makers. I don't care what anyone says. They're they're a fantastic eating shark. If you're going to eat it, keep it more. Go for it. If you're going to not eat it, definitely let it go. And that's where the circles come into being beneficiary because they, well, they easy to get. Easy, you can get them out or you can cut them <laughs> off, but you're not, not going to hurt the sh- yeah hurt the shark as such. And my the tuna fishery just quickly out the front of Portfield Bay Heads. I took fin out during the week. And we couldn't have caught any more fish. It was the most insane fishing on 20 kilo fish you'll ever have. Like, it was as good as down at Portland on the barrels. We're going to follow that up after the break in the whip around it. You're listening to Real Adventures. There's a big show ahead of us this morning. We hope you'll enjoy it. You're listening to Real Adventures. 
Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the whip around. We find out what's biting in your backyard. Redmond, let's kick off in New South Wales. We're going to loop back around and finish in Victoria because we know at the moment if you want school bluefin tuna, if you want barrel bluefin tuna, they're right up and down uh, the Victorian coastline. They're obviously pushing into South Australia and, and New South Wales. But let's kick off with the Marlin Run, which is still going really well. They are, mate. They are really going well. Uh, just the fishing season's going to be late this year. It was late to start and it's pushed late. And we're seeing good fish out of Bermagui, we're seeing good fish out of Batemans, Jervis. Everything's going really, really well on the marlin side of things. Just running your liveys ideally. That's how most people are fishing for, for them. If you want to get them on lures, no worries whatsoever. But obviously you have the chances of uh, pulling the hooks or throwing the lure out uh, before you actually do get the chance to get a tag in it because... That's just all a part of lure fishing with the Marlin Pat. Cook's River Bridge, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago about the Mulloway, and they have not stopped. This whole week, we've seen multiple Mulloway landed, and not only just Mulloway, we're seeing huge brim to like 40 centimetres, which are being caught while the guys have been waiting for the Mulloway. So there's plenty, plenty of action uh, happening in New South Wales at the moment. Queensland, the inshore reefs off Bundaberg are firing with Spanish mackerel. Uh, some fish well over the 1.2 metre mark and some Pretty uh, astonishing aerial aerobatics in terms of some of the reports with the fish just launching out of the water, which we know uh, Spanish mackerel are prone to do. Uh, the Burnett is the other one, Redmond. Huge numbers of barra have been landed. Um, and bycatch of mangrove, Jack, um, above 60 centimetres. That's a big fish. Yep, and they're just getting them on soft vibes. So live baits are working too, but soft vibes have been working uh, even better. WA, Durian Bay off the beach. Huge schools of tailor have moved in, which is great to see. Some of those pictures of the tailor are like 80 centimetres. Yeah, big tailor. Like massive. Big tailor. And because they're the, the mouths on the things, like the teeth. <laughs> chompers, they like call them. Like freaking Dracula. They literally call <laughs> them chompers. Massive. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, mixed in with those is the dartfish as well. So people love catching the dartfish too. And they're a fantastic looking species. Sort of like a queen fish in a way but more triangular but they just yeah. the colours on them are sensational if you get your boat painted that colour you probably would uh, there's also plenty of golden trevally skills out at Exmouth right now and they're uh, they're on top so they're busting up and there's birds on them so follow the turns and follow the birds that you need to follow out there and just cast in pretty much anything into them realistically and they'll uh, they'll usually have a chew South Australia Patrick yeah Summerton um, has been good for whiting this week um, where did you say sorry Summerton Summerton yep Brighton Bait and Tackle have uh, they uh, had the boat limit uh, of thirty six to sort of the forty centimetre range, which is good to see. While you're on that topic, in about four and a half metres of water. Oh yeah, well Coffin Bay, fifty plus centimetre fish, Patrick Coffin Bay this week, Pippi and Squid. So so I can't be that, but that's a that's a fair while away. Where's Coffin Bay in in South Australia? Just to put into perspective for people from Adelaide. Uh, well, it's fair you, drive, you it? out, yeah, yeah, fair way yeah. away. It's not like Summerton where you can you're staying. So Summerton's more central to yeah, Adelaide. where you're staying. Yep, in metro waters. Yep, Cape Jervis and uh, and both Kangaroo Island both have huge schools of bluefin too, Patrick as well. Twelve to twenty five kilo. So when when are we going to see uh, start to see um, Port Mac with the uh, big numbers? Do you think they're starting? Yeah, they're starting any day. Any Cra day, any day. Crabbers still finding a feed uh, off Semaphore, uh, Grange and Brighton. Talking uh, about red wine. And they'll be around for, I think, at least another few weeks. Tasmania fishing off the Tasman. There's been some huge schools of uh, tuna as well. And Kano, actually, 
uh, the builder, Fisherman Kano. You know, you know that guy. He's, He's a uh, part-time builder for the Fisherman. Yep, I had him on the lookout during the week. Patrick. Great mate. Yep. Taught the spirit of Tasmania over uh, the start of the week for his Easter from Geelong with his family. Yes, he did, and he went out, and I had him on the lookout for tuna, and he was useless. He didn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what he finds on the way back. I think it might even be today where he's travelling back. Uh, the swords are starting to take shape nicely for those that are, are sorry. Swords are starting to take shape nicely for those looking targeting them in Tasmania. Lockie Nichols Charters has been into him this week. Monster fish. He had a monster fish on that he fought for a period of time and crazy acrobatics. Great photos, videos. Unfortunately, lost it. Shortly after, dropped the next bait down and a 100 kilo fish he landed. Oh, wow. So, well and truly uh, worth it if you're after a swordfish, but it's a big effort. Uh, let's talk metropolitan uh, southern bluefin tuna off Victoria because that's yeah. we'll, we'll cover Western Port and Port Phillip Bay post this. Uh, but you took Finnet during the week, yeah. so it was just the two of you and still managed to go really, really well. So, they're not, um, I was going to say, not difficult to catch given. Like Finn's a good crewman, but he's three. He's useless. <laughs> <laughs> he's useless. He's How actually did you more of a pain. No, he's great. Uh, so we headed out. Chris O actually had a morning of basically disaster. So he was out. Chris Vasilevsky from Gone Fishing Charters, and he was out there and just fished. This is where I'm. This is don't I'm not hanging shit on Chris. This is coming to confusing. These fish are just pricks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris was out fish jumping everywhere, busting up, and he's like, oh, I don't know if it's worth coming out. I don't know if they're going to go. Like they're everywhere. He got two, and then he goes, mate, they're that hard to get. I'm like, I'll just come out with Finn, lunchtime. Headed out there, and I rang him when I went through the river. He goes, come out to 50 metres. He goes, I've got a school here that's actually turned on. Yep. And he had five ways, six ways. They all turned on for him. Oh, so he was and hammering it. Yeah. Yep. I got there, and we managed to – I put one lure out. I hooked up straight away. Didn't even get the other ones out. And then I said to put the next rods out, three of them out. I just ran, ran three rods with Finn and I. Uh, Finn can really do it once uh, and you can take one lucky I'm, uh, I'm back with the ticker Patrick the <laughs> diver took off and then I said to oh, then, then they just went funny deep diver yeah I've run in deep I don't like him but the, what all, were you using you know the charters are pretty much not running skirts at the moment they're running 10 divers what sort Helco Helco King Browns I think a lot of them are and you've changed the trebles out for singles uh, I did on the Rapala I ran Rapala yeah nice so I ran Rapala with singles and I don't know what the charters are doing there in kill mode, let's be honest, because they're charter boat fishing. They're trying to please their clients, so they'll be running trebles. But but do the trebles with the I reckon they work against mouth, each other. Work, yeah, I reckon they work against each other. Yeah. I like the singles, and not only that, I like taking singles out so I don't die when the trebles start flicking around everywhere. <laughs> but they pricks are things to deal with. But uh, they went funny. They went sunning themselves, like completely sunning. I said I was watching, then they were disappearing. I said I said I was on the phone. I reckon I said to Chris. They're going to sun themselves here. I said, oh, I bet you. So for about an hour, I couldn't get them to bite. They're jumping out everywhere after I had a couple. Chris the same? Chris went in. He yep. goes, they turned crap. I said, yep. yeah, half day charter. I said, they're going to crap. I'm going to head in. They started sunning. I said, I'm going to hang in here a minute. I reckon they're going to turn on. Sure enough, they started sunning themselves. I put three lures back out because I even tried casting poppers to them. Yep. I got one on a popper and then put the lures back out and every single thing that touched the water was eaten. Like, I was just three-way, 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 three-way. What, just, in your mind, no, when I you're targeting I've got nothing for you. You, you don't know I got, what I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, that, just to, to put it into perspective, I had fish jumping everywhere on bait. Bait flying out of the water, fish jumping everywhere, birds. You get to them, you drive over them, you see them, they go behind the boat, they jump behind the boat, you don't hook up. Mm. They start signing themselves, they're meant to be doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, I've got three-way hookups with them just laying on the surface, rolling over. 
Then you go the next day and they're sunning themselves. You can't hook them. But yet then they, you get one patch that feeds and you get a six-way. Yeah. It's, it's, they're just stupid. They really are. There's no other way to explain them. The fishing for them is just a, it's a headache. These charter boys that literally do it day in, day out, they go out there with the same techniques. Then they'll be, they'd be stupid if they change techniques because they just, they've got to please the customers. And you can try different things like I can with the poppers by yourself. Charters 10 people is very hard to do. And we had Chris on last week and he explained that. So it's just whether it's up to the fish. It's up to the fish. It really is. Windy days after the blow, 100% they'll eat. 100%. But I was in glass calm conditions, Pat. Uh, Port Phillip and Western Port for Salt Guide. What are you reporting on Whiting. this week? This best time of the year right yep. now. Yep. So coming, we're on the Easter break. So whiting is one of the fish that everyone's going to be chasing. And there's lots of them in both bays. Are you targeting tides around this? Yep, always tides. So get that stronger part of the tide, especially as we fall off that moon. Full moon, Easter moon, as we like to call it. But fall off the moon, and basically you're going to... Uh, fall off the moon, tides will pick up. We're going to have as many wide as you want. And the squid fishing sensational in Port Phillip right now. So pick that end of the tide, and you're going to catch as many squid as you want, pretty much. There's so many squid there. And not dependent on... Um Jig full rates. Like yep. you speak often about the weight being the most important. Yep. It doesn't really matter about the colour. Still got the same jig from last from the start of the season. Yep. So I'm not changing jigs just as long as it's sinking through the water. I've got three different sizes and I just grab that size and I chuck it on and as long as it's sinking. So when Finn comes with me, I give him a three and a half jig and I use a three. Because I'll cast it out and work it where he doesn't know how to work it. So I'd rather it deeper and holding its depth than float than floating on the surface. So I set it at a depth and he just occasionally pulls it up and lets it sink and he still catches them. So I run the three out the back and I'm actually letting it sink to its depth and working it up. So I'm working it. We're having a three-year-old child. You can't explain to him to cast it out the back, let it sink. So he just stands there and watches <laughs> it in the rod holder and he likes watching the squid come. Yep. Because I'm using a heavy one, it holds deep under the boat. It doesn't float. Where if I was to give him a three or a 2.5, it would come up and you wouldn't be able to uh, hold its depth, I guess, as such. Um, why it's just hanging or drifting with the boat, as we like to call it, the lazy the lazy jig out the back. <laughs> that was the rip around where we find out what has been biting around the country and in your state. It's time quickly. We're going to jump to the social club. We've got one question because you wanted to get this in. Yep. Um, can't sort of ignore the elephant in the room, Aaron. No, the elephant's quite large, like one of the bigger ones, and it's three, three straight losses, Pat. And this isn't a question for me. This is from Adam, who's well, a you mad already asked cat it before and local we, footballer. You already asked it uh, in studio before I often, we started recording. I often don't. You ask, haven't been happy. I don't often ask football too much, uh, too much football chat with yourself, and I. Uh, you weren't happy. No, I'm, I'm still not happy, uh, especially when my mate Gary Rowan got dropped either. So I'll have a word to the coach soon too. Uh, can you talk us through, as a captain and as a leader, what you are focused on for this week's Monday Easter clash against the Hawthorne Football Club? Who, who's that from? And he's from Adam. He's a mad cat and local footballer. He's, uh, he's used to losing, but <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't like it when his cats lose. That's what he's written in. Uh, well, what we're focused on, and this was, this was prior to the Gold Coast game as well. It's, well, it obviously didn't work. <laughs> well, you know what? We actually had a great week on the track, right? Yep. So you're trying to, um, like anything, when the losses start to build up, the, the confidence gets affected. And confidence is a funny thing in any sport. Um, it you generate your own luck when you're playing with real confidence. You're taking, I wouldn't say riskier options. You're just taking, taking the options that you talk about when you know any team is devising their game plan. But when 
the confidence starts to get eroded and the pressure starts to build. You don't feel like you've got as big a windows to hit those kicks, to make those simple plays once you feel like the game's really tight and everything starts to tighten and the anxiety sets in. So what we've really sort of promoted this week as a team is is try, trying to not rid yourself of the anxiety. It is going to be there, but almost stripping it back to say it is okay to yeah. make mistakes. Now, we made a lot against Gold Coast in areas that were really difficult to defend, but you've almost got to wear that because what it will create if you do execute those kicks is really good scoring opportunities. So de-stressing de and trying to reduce the anxiety of your players is a really important thing when you are going through consecutive losses, particularly to start a season when you haven't won a game yet. And for us, we've got to, we've got to remove ourselves from what last year was and the fact that, yep, it was an incredible season and... You want to hold yourself to those standards. But the game has changed. Mm. It is a different season and there are new players to this team that are still um, you know, learning the way that we play. It is a less experienced team in that sense in some important positions. So um, it, it's stripping it back and trying to remove some of the anxiety when it gets closer and why aren't we playing well? You know, We should be playing better mm. versus, well, hang on. Yeah, we'd like to be, but at the moment we're in a game where we're well and truly in it and everyone's really flat. One thing that I noticed was, and I, and just by all means, is I'm like, when I was watching the game, I was like, look at these kicks. Last year you did not kick the ball long like this. And then sure enough, that night I turned the Foxtel on my computer and it come up with your stats. You were ranked number one in short kicks last year and you were number 17 in long kicks and it's the other way around this year. But it's a bit around... Um is that where the panicking coming in because you're big kicks? Well, it's a bit around that anxiety yeah. of making a mistake. Yeah. And you it, it becomes self-fulfilling because you start to make more versus mm. you, the reason you kick long is to, oh, well, you know, you get a bit nervous and you get a bit jittery around taking that short kick. That so you've you, got to back yourself You'd in. always take it training, but then when the, the anxiety and the pressure of a game comes in, mm. you're less willing. So it's, yeah. that's what we've spoken about this week. And um, the challenge is for any team in, in our position – um, and there'll be teams right around the country that will experience this. Once the the losses mount, you still have to revert back to process. The answer is not, we'll just win a game and then everything will be fine and we'll get rolling from there. What's the process that underpins the result? Because if you're just result-focused, then you know these the losses continue to pile up and eventually you'll get lucky, but it won't be by you know great strategy. So... For us, it's you know, it's it's that it's around reinforcing the process and building confidence from that. Not building confidence from uh, a win will turn everything around. It will help definitely, well, especially supporters. That, that's the end result though. But you <laughs> yeah. you have to narrow your focus to keep it short. So Adam, that's well, I was going to present you the wooden spoon out of the bag here as early. Is that too early, Patrick? It's too. I, th- right, I think we'll. Right. I think we'll be okay. Okay. All right. We'll let you, we'll let you go then. Where are we at? Uh, we're. At, it's time for a break. That, right that is the social club. If you want to get in contact with Aaron or I to talk fishing, and uh, please keep footy external. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> um, Aaron made sure that one came through. Uh, make sure you hit us up on our Real Adventures socials on Instagram and Facebook, and or uh, better yet, download our Real Adventures app, which you can get all of our podcasts. Uh, and listen through all of our reports every single week. You're listening to Real Adventures. Catch you after the break. 
You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures, and it's now time for All Aboard. And it's going to be a little bit different today. I uh, decided to not get a guest, and I wanted to talk to you guys about these barrel bluefin tuna at Portland. Now, the reason I'm doing it is there's so many messages and calls that I've had during the week regarding how to catch them. There's a lot of schoolies, blah, blah, blah. What did you do? So basically, it's a very it was a very confusing time in Portland for me during the week. The schoolfish have moved in. There's a, low, a hell of a lot of schoolfish, plague proportions, and they really messed with my head and a lot of other people's heads. They played up bad. So what I mean by that is they were a distraction, but on life that would normally be barrel life, so the, the, the birds and whatnot that follow the barrels. So let's talk about it a little bit. So we fished on the Wednesday for the, for the barrels. We headed out, and a few people got lucky early. It was about 8.30, and there was a massive workup in between Bridgewater and Nelson of barrel bluefin tuna. Now, I was just short of it. I was 5Ks from it, and by the time I got the phone call off a mate, I shot over there, and they had instantly gone down. They had pretty much gone down. So we missed out. Those who were lucky enough to get them got a good bite, and they got some really, really good fish. The rest of the day, they didn't come up. There was a couple other fish caught uh, spasmodically through the day, but no workups. We went in. Now, the next day, this is where I recommend doing like your two days minimum when you're going to places to chase barrel for consistency. First day, we got to suss it out because what happened was everyone got sidetracked by these gannets. Normally, gannets, the diving birds, are the birds that you want to follow. They, they work really well. They follow uh, regarding catching barrel bluefin. They, they follow them. They, they feed with them as well as the seals, the dolphins, and the albatross. Now, what I mean by distracted by them is the schoolfish moved into this area from basically Nelson right through to the rock in plague proportions, and they haven't been there. They only rocked up the day we got there. They were not there the day before. Jake, another good mate of mine, had fished there for five days straight. He was, I think he left yesterday. He did, he did, so he spent like 10 days, eight, 10, 12 days up there, say, at Portland, chasing these barrels, and these fish were not there, these schoolies. So what happened is the gannets moved in, and there was... Tens of thousands of them spread out in bait ball-like, I uh, guess, formations, jump diving into the water. But they were chasing the schoolies. As soon as you got close to it, the schoolfish bailed. The difference between getting the barrels and the schoolfish, the people are having the issues, hence the calls and the messages I've had, is finding certain thing, key factors when you do mark the barrels up to, to guess, identify and not waste your time on the wrong stuff. Number one, I, rest, I reckon... The seals, I've always spoken about I reckon they're number one, the seals. But number two, being the albatross. The albatross is a scavenger feeder. You know what they're like if you're fishing for gummies in the ocean or whatnot. They come in and they sit behind you and they'll wait for your baits. So basically, the albatross are lazy. So when that bait ball's tight and just sitting on the surface, the albatross will sit on it because the gannets can move and move and follow the schoolfish because they move so quick. But with the barrels, they get it so tight and the, the, the albies will sit on top and they'll just keep picking up the bait as it gets brought up to the top. So when you are down at Portland, look for different things. Look for seals and look for the albatross. Gannets are great too. We had lots of gannets. All the gannets were on these bait balls that we got the barrels off, but they were also on the schoolfish where the albatross and the seals and dolphins, but seals and albatross are the two that were specifically pretty much every time on the barrels. So keep an eye out if you are down at Portland, I guess for this Easter break as such, the whole school holidays, two-week break or whatever, whatever it is for the kids at school. My kids aren't old enough yet. And I hope you get down there with this beautiful weather that's predicted. It looks fantastic. Swells dropping, winds dropping. And get yourself a barrel bluefin tuna. A little bit of different all aboard this week. You're listening to Real Adventures. The Real Adventures Review for TJM. 
Take the lead with TJM, proudly the first Australian-made and manufactured four-wheel drive equipment since 1973. Now time for Red's Review, our product review of the week. And we're talking rooftop tents, Redmond. Yes, and uh, as my kids are getting older, I do want to invest in one of these. The Boilier Rooftop Tent from TJM is what we're discussing this morning. Now, the reason I really like this is because of its weight. Okay. 58 kilos in total. Now, well, the whole thing. The whole thing. So there are a few different models. Um, the Yulara Rooftop is a slightly bigger version. So the Boilier is $14.49 and the Yulara is $1,600 bucks basically. Um but I always judge these things on weight. So I would always prefer something that's lighter weight. And this has an aluminium bait, base, so it's obviously it's high strength, but um, is far lighter for your rooftop. And I just reckon there's less movement, particularly when you're going camping. Now, it's fine you know, when you're sleeping overnight, but I'm talking if you're going off the beaten track and you know, you're going through undulating sort of territory, if you've got too much weight, on the top of your car, the thing's going to move. Um, so that's one thing that I really like about it. Um, the awnings are all integrated. Um, and the other thing I think is is brilliant, Redmond, is just how quickly it collapses. So it's really easy to assemble, but it is really easy to put away as well. So there's windows on either side, um, and there's like a, it's like a bit of a shade. I like sale, the window on the there. top. As you can see, a little zip on the top of it, and you can... Look at the stars, Patrick. The koalas above you, out in the bush. <laughs> so um, designed for comfort and maximum durability is what TJM say, and they talk about the high-quality fa- uh, fabrics and all those sorts of things. But if you look through the reviews, and I think that's one of the most important things when you're looking at different options for a rooftop tent or any tent in in particular – You've got to go with what people recommend. And, and so far, the recommendations from people that have bought these are brilliant. So I think you judge it on masses rather than just you know one tent that's created and no one's ever actually used it. Yeah, the yeah reviews 100%. On this, yeah. Well, that's uh, what I always look for if I've purchased something is the reviews because if it you, want to, you don't want to buy something just straight out new. You want to have people that have experienced before you go spend your money. Yeah, and that's why you, you, you stick to the good brands, yeah. really. So, And TGM's been around for ages. Um, Perfect. So, obviously, um, really well constructed. So you want good longevity, particularly when you're spending like 1500 bucks for it. How much are they about 1500 bucks? Yeah, exactly. A bit under for this one, but a bit more if you go for the um, the high spec. But if you want more info, tgm.com.au is where you can get it. You've got to follow through a few of the links in terms of getting all the specs. Um, but the reviews for it are brilliant. Well done, Patrick. That is Red's Review. You're listening to Real Adventures. We'll see you after the break. That was for TJM. Take the lead with TJM. Quality four-wheel drive equipment. You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red Tip. And I feel like this is something that you will review like two or three times a year. And it always always comes about when either you head to Bermagui (laughs) or you're chasing tuna. And one of the things that you rely on is 
vision and finding birds and finding bait and finding life. It is, and it leads me to your my question is, I'm going to take your boat, Barrel. No, I'm joking. I'm not actually, I'm not actually <laughs> taking your boat. Oh, yeah. Uh, it comes down to this. I did think that looked different <laughs> on your trailer as you drove it in your Ram. I'm like, geez, that boat looks familiar. Yes, it does. You've probably forgotten what it looks like, but it's uh, it's a good <laughs> boat. Uh, Rainex. You can't go past it. So if Where you do you find it? Where do you buy it? Do you buy it online? Any sort of parts... Like parts for automotive in Ocean Grove where I get it. So any sort of motor mechanic or I guess shop that sell, sells stuff for cars or outdoors, yep. you pretty much you probably find an anaconda to tell you the honest truth, because they're all outdoors as well. So anywhere that sort of that has car manufacturing or window cleaning or anything of the likes, you will find it. Rainex, even the servo, I got this the lot that I got was from the servo. It was literally So you on spray it on and then you wipe it in? So I actually clean the windows first with Rainex. So what it does is it allows you to see through the window, the water hits it and beads off. It just falls off your window. Rather than the salt water landing and then crystallizing and, and then, then it's cloudy and you can't see. And then see. all you're doing your windscreen wipers every five to ten minutes, especially on a calm calm days are the worst days because that's when it dries and yep. you don't have water coming onto your windscreen and you just constantly got crystallized salt. Yep. So Rainex is super important. And uh, yeah, you put it, I clean the windows first with like pretty much a Windex, give it a clean on the outside. Not and then uh, in, chuck the uh, yeah, chuck the Rainex on, rub it in, let it set for a bit, rub it in again, let it set. You can do it two or three times. So it is a bit of a process in order to. Oh, it's a prick it. of a process, but it will work. <laughs> it, it'll work. It, it'll work. Hundred percent, and it will last you not just a week. It will last you like six trips. weeks. Oh, I'm going yeah, okay. six weeks. Yeah. Yep. So six weeks of outdoors, I reckon. You put it on every six weeks, you'll be laughing. So if you're out in the ocean every day for, say, two weeks straight, it's probably not going to last as long. But if you're out there here and there, it'll definitely last six weeks. And then it's only cheap too. You're only getting about $20 a bottle, so if that. So uh, make sure you get yourself some Rain-X. It's going into the flying gaff now, Patrick. That was Red's tip. And for the gaff this week, you're going to need a large gaff because <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty extraordinary footage that we've seen during the week, isn't it? It's one of the most amazing videos that I have ever witnessed. So this has done uh, the rounds on social media of late. And Andrew Huberman, PhD, he's a scientist and a neuroscience professor at Stanford. Uh, He posted a video uh, of an enormous great white shark uh, after they were doing some scientific research uh, on an expedition uh, with Michael Mueller. Uh, they were doing it for Stanford and one of the most amazing great white shark videos that we've ever seen. So they're bringing in this tuna that's probably, what, 80 kilos? Yeah, well, no, I reckon even bigger. It's a monster. Yeah, it's a big fish, yeah. And this great white shark that's every bit of a tonne and five metres long. Pretty muscly and defined like myself. <laughs> comes up and uh, and just inhales this. We posted it on our, um, on our Real Adventures socials during the week uh, for those that are interested, came up right uh, next to the boat. The guy that was grabbing the leader in the green shirt... Now has brown jocks. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure he does because he was the, he was the most relaxed-looking leader grabber that I've ever seen with a five-metre, one-and-a-half-tonne shark right at the feet. So the gaff this week, and it's a bloody big one, uh, goes to that man that is holding the, uh, the leader. Good on him. That was amazing. It was. Terrific. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Real Adventures.